Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Three seconds. Two seconds. For now, all the way outside of Watford. Three on the way. Oh! Puts it up on the left hand. No good. Tipped up. And no good again. Batted away. Tipped into Cody. Indiana's going to win it. They win it. Yogi Ferrell. Will he take the big shot? Bryant is trying to post. It's Yogi. It's three. Got him and welcome, Hoosier fans, to another episode of Podcast on the Brink, your weekly dose of Indiana basketball discussion with me, Jared Morris, the host and co-founder of The Assembly Call and featuring Alex Bozich, the founder and editor of Inside the Hall. Before we dive into this week's episode of Podcast on the Brink, a quick word from this week's sponsor to begin. This week's episode of Podcast on the Brink is brought to you by SeatGeek. You know, buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show you want to go to, and none of those older ticket sites really seem to want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that really does make it easier than ever before for fans to buy and sell tickets. That's why SeatGeek is the first place I go to when I'm looking for tickets to a game or to a concert. And a big reason why is that SeatGeek does all the price comparison for me, and they'll do it for you too. They search multiple ticket sites, ensuring that you get the best possible deal. They do the work. You and I save the time and money, which sounds like a good deal to me. Best of all, listeners of Podcast on the Brink get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. So here's how that works. To get your $20 rebate, download the SeatGeek app, all right, and go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter the promo code BRINK, B-R-I-N-K, and then SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Again, download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code B-R-I-N-K today. Alrighty, and now, this week's episode of Podcast on the Brink. And welcome to another episode of Podcast on the Brink. Very happy to be here talking IU basketball with you on the heels of Indiana's victory over Rutgers. I'm Jared. I'm here. Alex Bozich is here as always, and we are joined by a special guest, Josh Margolis, who is one of our joint interns for this season, a current student at IU, and he's been doing a great job covering the team for both of our sites, and so we wanted to bring him on this episode of Podcast on the Brink and get some of his thoughts, uh, as well as ours, on what's going on with the Hoosiers. Uh, so Josh, to begin, welcome to the show, man. Great to have you on Podcast on the Brink. Thank you so much. Uh, it's, I've been listening to the show for a while, so to finally be on it, it's, uh, it's an honor. 
Very cool, man. Well, hey, you and I got a chance to meet when I was up there in Bloomington, and it was great getting a chance to talk basketball with you. You're a really knowledgeable basketball fan, and I'm just kind of curious to kick things off. You're from Minnesota. What has the experience been like for you now being an IU student, you know, covering Indiana? Is, is Hoosier hysteria everything that you thought that it would be? It, it really is. Um, just kind of to backtrack a little bit, I've kind of been around basketball my whole life. I know my intro post for uh, Inside the Hall there's a baby uh, picture of me in a Timberwolves onesie. My, my dad's had Timberwolves season tickets since uh, the, the organization started in 1989, back when they played in the Metrodome, actually. And I went to high school at Hopkins High School, which is one of the few schools in Minnesota that's not a hockey school. It's actually a basketball school. Produced some products like Royce White, uh, Siani Chambers, who goes to Harvard, currently Blake Hoffarber. Yeah. Um, and so I had the privilege of covering the state tournament my senior year. Uh, and the state semifinal game went to four overtimes. I had the chance um, to interview Amir Coffey after the game. He made a 60-foot shot at the end of the fourth overtime. And that's kind of when I knew I wanted to do something like this. And just to, my senior year or my junior year touring – Colleges. I went on a tour of Indiana colleges, and when I went to Indiana, there was there's this special lore. When I I ended up getting into uh, Assembly Hall, and there's there's not quite a stadium like it. The way the seats are, I know, that I know uh, Chuck Crab talks about it. Yeah. About how it's two, it's kind of two theaters, or theater or theater audiences facing each other. Yeah, and the reverberation and the sound that it creates is. I mean, in my mind, it's unlike anything else in, in uh, college sports. Yeah. And so to have the opportunity to cover IU basketball on a game-by-game basis is something I've really enjoyed. Very cool, man. Well, hey, word to the wise, never mention the word, the name Blake Hoffarber on any episode of Podcast on the Brink or Assembly Call again. That's one that still gives uh, Indiana fans shivers from that shot that he made in the Big Ten tournament. <laughs> yeah, he, he, He's had a pension for those kind of <laughs> yes. shots. Yes. All right. Well, let's dive in and let's talk some IU basketball because the Hoosiers obviously sitting at two and three right now in the Big Ten, not where we all hope to be. Uh, but, you know, perhaps there's a little bit of positive momentum with Indiana winning two out of its last three. Uh, and in that game against Rutgers, you know, seeming to improve on some of its weaknesses. And so, Alex, uh, you put out a call yesterday on Twitter for some questions. And it's pretty clear what the number one topic of discussion uh, for Indiana fans that they want us to cover is. And that is Thomas Bryant, because for all of the positives coming out of the Rutgers game, I think probably the biggest negative, if you look at that game, in addition to Indiana shooting, which wasn't very good, uh, was the play of Thomas Bryant, who struggled again. Um, and so I'd like to get, Alex, just your opening thoughts, and Josh will get your thoughts too, on, you know, as Jim Bernstein put it, the relative struggles of Bryant. And I'm glad he put it that way. Because I do think, you know, in, in Indiana fans' zest to, to break down Bryant's game, it's, it has felt for the past month like everything is negative and like he hasn't done anything right. And while Thomas hasn't taken kind of that next step that we all thought to an All-American level, you know, he's having a decent season, but again, not as great as we all expected. And his play in particular over these last five or six games has seemed to regress. So... What are your thoughts on Thomas currently, and what do you think is the next step for Indiana? Would he, as Jim asked, would he benefit from a benching, from not starting? Does he need to be used differently? What do you think about Thomas right now, Alex? Yeah, it's funny that we're having this conversation because going into the season, I think most fans would have said, 
you know, what what is Tom Crean and the coaching staff going to do to get Thomas Bryant more touches in the post? And at this point, there's really um, not a case to, to make that happen and maybe a case to, to do it less often because what we've seen out of Thomas Bryant is he's being a little bit exposed uh, in terms of his lack of athleticism and post game uh, when he's when he catches the ball with his back to the basket he struggled to, to really find any space between himself and, uh, and the defender to be able to finish at the rim uh, he doesn't play, he's never played above the rim he's best offensively when he's um, almost like he's has a full head of steam going to the basket. Uh, you saw yesterday that transition play. Devontae Green found him in transition. Uh, that's the kind of play uh, where he can be effective, but he's not a guy that you're going to just isolate in the post and throw it down and clear everybody out and let him go to work. And I don't – you know, it, it's a tough question. You know, what what can Indiana do to, to better utilize him? You know, I think – he needs to take it upon himself a little bit more to be more aggressive on the offensive glass and try to create some opportunities for himself uh, and, and play better defense. I think those are really the things that where he can really make make an impact because I don't necessarily see uh, the the fact that he's having struggle uh, problems finishing in the post is something that's easily fixable just because I think last year he got a lot of great opportunities, a lot of great open looks because of guys were around him facilitating for him, and this team simply doesn't have that at this point. Yeah, I mean, is that the big difference? Because, I mean, it, it, I'm not crazy remembering back to last year and thinking that he was really good in the post. And, and I mean, he made 70% of his two-point field goals. Are the opportunities just not as clean? Is he, you know, getting doubled more? Or has have his skills in the post regressed in your mind i don't think his skills have regressed in the post i think it's you know and, and it would be a really interesting thing i you know i don't have time to do it um maybe something i could do after the season actually go back and kind of see watch you know all of his all of his film from last year um and see because with synergy you can you can isolate pretty much anything um with a certain player throughout a whole season. So I could actually go back and watch all the looks that he got last year compared to this year and, and see if there was, you know, a theme in terms of how open he was. But I do think, um, and again, this is not me based on me going back and watching anything, but I think what, what I would see, um, is the fact that he was focused on less last year because of Troy Williams and, and Yogi Farrell's ability to create off the dribble and this year, defenses are sagging a little bit more on him, uh, bringing more pressure to him in the post. You know, he's very uncomfortable uh, when the double team comes. Uh, we've seen that. You know, he's had some turnovers that were uh, definitely plays that he would like to take back. And I think the other thing is Indiana's three-point shooting regress has regressed a little bit, and you know, teams aren't aren't as afraid to uh, to send help on him because they're they're not you know they're not fearful of Josh Newkirk making a three pointer. Robert Johnson and and James Blackman have had their share of struggles too from the outside. So, I think it's a combination of all those things. I don't necessarily think that he's regressed in terms of his skill level. I just think that the circumstances uh, and, and the personnel around him have changed quite a bit. Yeah, Josh, what are your thoughts on Thomas? Because it does seem like this is, you know, moving forward for Indiana, getting Thomas Bryant going back to what he was, I mean, as recently as six, seven weeks ago, where he was, you know, kind of a double-double machine. Getting him back to that point is really important for Indiana to get on a roll here. Uh, what, what do you think about what Thomas has been doing and what he needs to do moving forward? I think all all the points that Alex made are sound. And just to add to that, I think 
sometimes he really needs to maybe relax, calm down, take a deep breath a little bit. He's a very demonstrative guy, uh, very emotional. It's something, it's something you love to see in a basketball player, but I mean, sometimes you just got to slow down, think about really what you're doing, what move you're going to make, and not, and not rush anything too much because some of, some of the looks, some of the hook shots he takes, I think are definitely makeable looks. I mean, last year we were talking about it, near 70% shooting overall. Is actually, that's actually an IU record for field goal shooting in a single season. And he's capable of, of putting up numbers like that again if he takes his time and, and takes good shots. Yeah, that, that's the thing is, you know, last year it almost seemed like he had this, this prodigious ability to get the ball up on the rim softly and it would just bounce around. And I mean, more often than not, it bounced in. And, and you know, I think he hasn't been as good as get, at getting the ball up on the rim like that. And some of the bounces haven't gone his way. Uh, but it's clear he needs to improve. You know, Alex, the other question that we got a lot of, uh, Adam Heath is one example of this. He wanted us to talk about Thomas Bryant's minutes versus Deron Davis's minutes. And Adam's comment is, I'm, I'm a believer that Davis defends better and the spacing on offense is better without him. What do you think about that? Do you think that Deron Davis needs to start taking more of Thomas Bryant's minutes? Do you want to see the two of them together so that Thomas can, you know, play a little bit more of the foreman? Because for all of the areas where Thomas has, you know, regressed statistically this year, one place where he's improved is as a three-point shooter, where he is making 41% of his threes, and he's taken 29 of them, so it's a decent sample size there. You know, and we've talked, you know, a lot about how he needs to be on the block more. Is it possible that he actually needs to step away from the basket a little bit more, and that Deron Davis needs to be getting more of those minutes down on the block? Yeah, I think the the, the one thing um, that's maybe being underutilized, uh, and you just mentioned it there, is playing those two together uh, a little bit more often. I'm not saying do it all the time, but we've seen how good of a passer Deron is, and maybe he can be that facilitator from the high block that can get Thomas looks. You know, Duran is, com- is not uncomfortable catching the ball at the elbow or at the high post and facing up and, and trying to make a move for himself or, or passing the ball out So or, pa- or, or finding uh, Thomas in the post. So, so, you know, we talked about the lack of a playmaker um, with, in terms of losing Yogi Ferrell and Troy Williams. Maybe something uh, that should happen more often is, you know, trying to to use those guys off one another to, to free to free up more easy looks in the post. But in terms of the minutes, you know, I don't necessarily think uh, you just flat out bench Thomas Bryan and, and say your your you know your role is being reduced. We're going to start playing Deron Davis. You know, I I think that kind of sends the wrong message uh, to a guy who who you really are trying to build up and you're trying to to make more of a leader. Uh, on this team uh, to, to just to just hand his minutes to Deron Davis. You know, I, I'm not saying that Deron Davis hasn't earned more minutes. I, I think there's a case to play him more, but I think some things have played in uh, into the fact that uh, him of him being uh, brought along more slowly, obviously him missing the summer. And then, uh, you know, Tom Green's talked a lot about his kind of nagging injuries, hasn't really disclosed what they are, but I think there's a little bit more to the, to the whole situation than just kind of saying, you know, what's, Let's bench Thomas Bryant and uh, you know give uh, more of his minutes to Deron Davis. But I would like to see uh, the two of them uh, play uh, more together, just as I would like to see uh, times when uh, Indiana goes smaller with uh, OG and Anobi and Jawan Morgan, like we saw at times yesterday. I thought that those were uh, lineups that were really helpful. So uh, it's uh, you know the I know maybe we'll get into the lineup stuff a little bit more because it seems to be. Um, the main uh, thing that, that Indiana 
fans uh, pick at and, and point out, especially when things aren't going well. You know who who should be playing more, who should be playing less, and uh, you know I think it, it makes uh, this fan base, uh, you know, it's they they care a lot, obviously about the product on the floor, and uh, they want Indiana to do well, and uh, they're always going to be opinionated and and, and have their. Uh, have their stances on uh, how things should be going. And I think that's uh, one reason we're able to do this show. So I, I think it's great that, that uh, Indiana fans care so much about the lineups, but I, you know, I don't necessarily advocate just flat out benching Thomas Bryant. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's interesting about Duran. I feel like there has to be something going on with the conditioning, with nagging injuries to where he's not getting as many minutes because he's been pretty productive with his minutes. I mean, his offensive rebounding percentage of 17.2%, if he played enough minutes to qualify, would be in the top 10 in the country. You know, his assist rate is pretty good. It's actually fourth on the team. Um, you know, his block rate is 6%, which is second on the team to Thomas Bryant. He's finishing at a decent clip on twos. Um, so, I mean, he's done some good things in there, and I think we all see the potential and would like to see him get more minutes. And it'll be interesting to see if that happens in Big Ten play. So, Alex, you mentioned the lineups. Let's, let's go there uh, with the lineups, and I'll start with you. And, Josh, I want to get your thoughts on this as well. But what would you do? with the lineups and let, let's look at this from two different angles number one you know what would you do with the starters because the Rutgers game again you know as well as Indiana played for probably the final 36 minutes they really struggled out of the gate again we're down 13 to 6 and, and the bench really gave Indiana a lift in particular OG Ananobi who has been coming off the bench lately so would you change up the starting lineup at all and do you think a guy like OG should be in the lineup or maybe if he's starting to settle into a comfort role as a six man do you leave him there yeah, it's you know coaches like to say it's not who starts uh, necessarily, but who finishes the game. But I, I think there's a case uh, to be made here that Indiana needs to do something different at the start of games. I mean, look at look at how they started uh, against Wisconsin, and then look at how they started uh, against Rutgers yesterday. If Rutgers was a was a better team and uh, made some free throws yesterday, could have been um, a potential catastrophe uh, situation just based on. Uh, giving up a nine-point lead in the you know in the first and opening minutes of a home game, you you just cannot have that happen happen. And um, you know if it was the first time it happened, I would say you know maybe it was a it was a one-time thing. But they've had several poor starts this year that uh, I think suggest that that maybe something different uh, should come about. You know I've been an advocate all season of, of going with uh, you know the the bigger lineup with with Morgan and Obi Bryant uh, Johnson and Blackman Jr. I just think that is your best chance to, to have success. And, uh, you know, I've, I believe that you should give your chance, your team, the, the best chance to succeed, uh, from the opening tip. And th- that would be the lineup that I would go with moving forward. I know we'll get into some of the Devonte green, Josh Newkirk, uh, discussion, but, um, you know, I don't necessarily think it's a situation where, you know, you start Devonte green right now based on his overall body work. I mean, he's had some really good moments, but he's he's still young. He's still a freshman, still uh, prone to mistakes. And at this point in the season, uh, when you need wins and you need to build some consistency, I think you ride with your with your five most uh, consistent players. And I think there's a case to be made that the, that the five I mentioned uh, would be the ones you'd go with. Yeah, no, you know, Devontae Green did some nice things in the first half against Rutgers, and I think a case can be made for more minutes for him, but elevating him to the starting lineup or playing him like a starter, you know, he is still leading the team in turnover rate, and and those mistakes aren't just suddenly going to go away. Um, Josh, what do you think? I mean, what would be your starting five, and what do you think is Indiana's best five? 
I mean, it's starting five, it's something also you, you'll hear Tom Crean say it a lot, right? St- the starters with this team, especially, are on a case by case basis, even if it has been, if, even if it has been the same starting lineup for a few games in a row. But I mean, I think you have to go, you have to go Bryant, Morgan, um, Blackman, Johnson, and then <laughs> I guess, I guess you go with Newkirk and you, you sub in Ananobi and, and Devontae as necessary and do it based on matchups. It's a, it's a tough thing to do. Uh, this team really doesn't still doesn't have that true point guard. It's not something that's, there's not going to be like a free agent that comes in in the middle of the season and helps this team. And has been, I mean, even though he did come off the bench yesterday, he played the, he played the third most minutes on the team, only uh, Blackman jr. And Rob Johnson played more. And if, if they keep getting off to these slow starts, I guess you're going to have to change it eventually. But right now, I mean, it works against Rutgers. Penn State getting into an early hole might, I mean, might hurt the Hoosiers a lot more than it did against Rutgers. But I, I mean, there's not many options you can go to here. Devontae, I mean, you talked about it. And Crean said after the game, even immediately after the game, after he tried that alley-oop uh, with the time ticking off the clock, that maturity is still an issue with some of the freshmen, including Devontae. And he's definitely not ready to start in, in Big Ten play. Yeah. So, you know, the other guy who has been obviously a lightning rod for discussion and criticism has been Josh Newkirk. And I went back and looked at it uh, before the Maryland game. And there have only been three guards or forwards in the Tom Crean era, at least since 2011, that have played, uh, I think it was at least 33% of minutes and have had an offensive rating under 100. That's Stan Robinson, Jeremy Hollowell, and I think Verdell Jones, and I think Jeremiah Rivers was in there too, but just didn't quite play enough minutes. And at that point, Josh's offensive rating was hovering right around 100. Well, he's actually had a couple of decent games in a row against Maryland and Rutgers. You know, he scored a total of 15 points on only uh, 10 shots, so he's been efficient there. He's had six assists over those games and only three turnovers. So, I mean, he's had some bad stretches in that in those games, but overall has played a little bit better. You know, and his minutes, you know, he played 24 in the Rutgers game, 22 in the Maryland game. Um, but you think back to that Nebraska game when he played 33, you know, and against Butler, he played 28. So his minutes going down a little bit. Alex, are you a little bit more pleased and encouraged with how Newkirk is being used now by Tom Crean? Because it does seem like his role has been reduced a little bit. And as we expected might happen, you know, his efficiency has gotten a little bit better. And it seems like we're getting a little bit more of the good Josh Newkirk and less of the bad Josh Newkirk. Um, have you noticed that? And do you think his role needs to continue to, you know, be reduced minutes wise? Or do you think he's starting to settle into a sweet spot? Well, let me preface this by saying, you know, I don't necess- I don't have anything personally against Josh Newkirk. And I, I think he's doing the best job that he can do in the, in the situation uh, that he's in. And I don't, you know, I, in an ideal world, I think he is, you know, a backup point guard on a really good team. He's being asked to play, uh, to be the starting point guard on, on a team that had expectations, uh, you know, of being a top 10, top 15 all year after what they did early in the season. I just don't see what he brings in terms of, um, you know, People have talked about his defense being good. You know, 
early in the game yesterday, Corey Sanders was going right around him and shooting layups. I think he got better later in the game, but just kind of looking at his conference only numbers, I mean, he's 10th in assist rate uh, in the Big Ten, but his turnover rate is 27.1%. I mean, that's so his turnover rate's almost 6% higher than his assist rate. Um, he's shooting, he, he's made two of seven on threes. Um, as you mentioned, his offensive rating is back over 100, uh, 100 for the season, but it's under 100 in Big Ten play. Um, and that's kind of why I'm at where I am in terms of just going with Johnson and Blackman as the starters. Um, Morgan and Ananobi and Davis and Bryant have all been good enough um, to where, you know, you know, we've seen the full body of work. I know Indiana is going to, you know, win some games because of its three-point shooting, but its three-point shooting this season is not at the level it was last year. So, so I'm of the thinking of try to maybe slow it down a little bit, um, control the ball as much as possible, don't turn it over, and, and use um, you, the, the biggest strength you have, which is your athleticism on the wings and your, and your size in the post. Um, I just don't, you know, like I said, I don't necessarily have a problem with Josh Newkirk playing some. I just don't necessarily understand why he has such a big role on this team. I, his whole body of work doesn't, you know, doesn't suggest that, that he deserves to be playing the minutes he is. That's just, that's kind of where I'm at on it. Even even the reduced minutes that he's been playing, I mean, because in the Kansas North Carolina games, the Butler games, he's up over thirty minutes and he's down into the to the low twenties now. You think that should go down even more potentially? I, I don't. I mean, I, I'm fine with that. I, I don't like him in the starting lineup necessarily, and I don't um, necessarily think um, that in a situation like yesterday where Devontae Green played so well in the first half, um, I don't think it should be a given that that that. Newkirk starting the second half and getting as many minutes as he did. I mean, I thought Green was the reason, one of the reasons they turned things around so well in the first half yesterday, and then to only see him play uh, those those limited minutes in the second half uh, to me was a little bit head scratching. Yeah, it was, it was very head scratching to me. I didn't really understand that. Josh, where do you fall on this uh, the off discussed topic of Josh Newkirk and his playing time? I mean, the biggest problem with Josh Newkirk is simply that he's not Yogi Ferrell. As much as IU fans and as we all want him to be Yogi Ferrell, he doesn't have he can't he can't see those passing angles. He can't hit that spot up three on the fast break like Yogi can or like and like or like Yogi could when he was on IU. And it's something that is I mean, we knew that this team was going to miss Yogi, but I don't think we quite knew how much when the offense has just gone static at points. It's just it's hard to it's hard to see. Uh, exactly where this team, I mean, goes in terms of minutes at the point guard position because they've tried other things. They've tried putting Johnson and uh, Curtis Jones together to, to limit its success. They've tried Green and Jones. They've tried Green and Rob Johnson. And the issue is, I mean, how many options do you really have? And Newkirk knew, like, he was in trouble after the first half yesterday. The second half, he started playing a lot better. Uh, hitting some shots at the rim, but I mean, New Newkirk's going to have to play play these minutes, even even if it is more limited than it was at the beginning of the season because of the lack of uh, depth at the guard positions. So we mentioned Devonte Green, and, and and look, you know, he didn't play any. I think it was in the Nebraska and the Wisconsin games, if I remember that correctly, uh, and now has played at least ten minutes in the last three games. So his role is clearly expanding. The other bench guy that I want to talk about is Curtis Jones because I think his role starts to become really interesting moving forward. And 
it felt like after that Kansas game for a while, he was every single game trying to recreate what he did against Kansas, where he was just unbelievable, scored 15 points, and has everybody thinking, okay, here's the next great guard at Indiana University, you know, and, and struggled for a while. But I think we're starting to see him settle into his role a bit. And so, interestingly, he hasn't played more than 11 minutes in any of the last four games, but he's made at least one three-pointer in all four of those games while not taking more than three. So he hasn't just been out there chucking. And the last two games, he's made at least two three-pointers in his four for five. Um, you know, he's had a couple of assists, has only turned it over once in that time, and has a couple of steals. And to me, seems like a guy who is starting to understand the level of effort uh, that is required to play defense at, you know, at a Big Ten level, because I don't think he did for a while, and his defense has been better. Um, Alex, how... How have you seen Curtis Jones evolve as a player, you know, in Big Ten play? And do you think, you know, maybe he's a guy now that as he starts to, you know, as they, as we always say, turn, go from a freshman into a sophomore, you know, is, is he a guy late in the season that can give Indiana a bump if he can get, you know, maybe a few more minutes a game and maintain the efficiency level that he's shown over these last four or five? I think there's a, a decent chance that um, he's going to be a, a pretty – key piece moving forward. I mean, you want to talk about the opposite end of the spectrum from, from Newkirk in terms of offensive rating? I know it's a small sample size, but but five conference games, Curtis Jones' offensive rating is 187.6. His turnover rate is less than you know 11%. He's made six of his eight threes. Um, on a team where defense is not a strength and you're in a lot of games you're going to need to outscore guys i mean i i this is kind of where i'm at in terms of you know this kind of goes back to the newkirk thing if he's not going to be an elite defender and and shut other guys down um and he's not offering much offensively this is this is where i kind of see you know giving more minutes to curtis jones because you know if he if he's not going to be a huge drop off defensively uh from what you're getting um with newkirk and he can make threes uh, reliably, and uh, you know I don't know that the turnover rate necessarily translates or is going to stay that low uh, with increased minutes. But he, he's a shot maker. I mean, he can he can go out and and uh, create space. Particularly, you know, just just think of you know if Thomas Bryant has the ball in the post and uh, he's fed by Josh Newkirk versus Curtis Jones. Do you think defenses are going to sag more on Bryant when? Uh, when it's uh, Newkirk feeding the post or, or Curtis Jones, so I, um, you know, I'm I'm in the camp of play Curtis Jones and Devonte Green more going forward. Play Josh Newkirk less, and I just think uh, you know it's because both of those guys um, c- can actually go off the dribble and uh, create offense. I know Josh Newkirk, as Josh mentioned, finished better at the rim yesterday um, in the second half, but. He's not going to consistently uh, generate offense for himself, where I feel like the other two guys can. And uh, defensively, I, I know that there's improvements to be made, but I, I just don't know that uh, the, the the difference between Newkirk and the other two guys is enough to offset the uh, what you're missing in offense. Yeah, and for what it's worth, Curtis Jones' steal rate is higher than Josh Newkirk's. I mean, he's forcing turnovers at a higher level too. Um, really great points there, Alex. Uh, and and, and uh, not to interrupt you, and he gets to the foul line better. I mean, Newkirk. Yeah. That's the other thing. It's like, you know, if if, if you're going to drive into the paint like he does, at least if you're not going to finish, draw a foul occasionally. And in his free throw rate, uh, if I'm not mistaken, is uh, let's see, 23.5 for the season. 
but in Big Ten play, it's only 9.1%, which he's only taken three free throws uh, in Big Ten play, which is just not enough. That's not good. <laughs> that is not good. Hey, uh, Alex, real quick, uh, Jawan Morgan, who I thought for about the first four minutes in the second half yesterday against Rutgers played some of the best defense we've seen from a Hoosier in a while. I mean, the team as a whole played pretty good defense to start the second half. But anytime there was a breakdown, it was like Juwan was back there as Dikembe Mutombo erasing it. He had two or three blocks in that sequence. We saw him go down. Um, and either one of you guys, I mean, you were there yesterday. Do you get any sense of how serious that injury was or if we should expect him to miss any time? Well, Tom Crean said post-game that he didn't have an update, um, obviously, on Morgan. I know Josh got... Josh and I were both um, up top yesterday, so um, we we didn't really have a great view on what happened. Um, I, I did I did turn around and uh, asked Josh at one point, you know, is does it, is Morgan even on the bench? Where, where is he sitting? And then we, we kind of noticed that he was at the end of the bench. But uh, it looked like, based on I didn't actually see the play, but I, correct me if I'm wrong. He ran into one of the referees and tweaked his foot. Um, yeah. So that. That is kind of a kind of a weird weird play, but but I agree with you. The the way he played early in the second half, I thought was uh, really uh, an encouraging development for Indiana. Josh, any any additional insight you can uh, provide on on the injury or maybe what you saw? I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. The way Morgan got hurt, he was kind of moving back around the uh, around in the three point corner, but next to the IU bench, and kind of just ran right into the the feet of one of the officials fell down and stayed down for a while, had to go back to the locker room. He actually walked back to the bench, and when he got there, he didn't stand up for the rest of the game. They had an ice pack uh, on his left foot, ankle area. And even when IU was huddling or when, the, when teammates would come back to the bench, he just he sat down the whole time. Tom, Tom Crean, like you said, didn't provide an update. It's hard to really gauge a timeline when you, when you don't have an update on injuries. And things like this, especially when it's ankle or foot area, because uh, the timeline with those can vary person to person. And Juwan is someone who suffered really, he suffered in the entire, he's ran the gamut of injuries uh, throughout his two years here, from the shoulder to the ankle. And it's tough to see for such a hardworking player like Juwan to constantly see him getting banged up and having to miss time. Now, it's a damn shame. And I mean, look, I think one thing that we can all agree on, that there isn't much that all IU fans can agree on, right, in a season like this. But I think one thing is we need more Jawan Morgan. I mean, he's got the highest offensive rating on the team. Uh, he, his offensive rebounding rate is, you know, the best on the team outside of Deron Davis, but he's, you know, plays, plays a lot more minutes. He has a great block rate. He's making 72% of his twos. And I thought there were two plays on offense yesterday that showed an extra element he can bring that Indiana needs, which is when he took the ball from the top of the key and drove right in and dunked over the Rutgers guy who was defending him. And the other one was when he was over in the right corner and it was either Devontae or Josh Newkirk that drove into the lane. And Juwan flies into the lane. It was very reminiscent of the cuts that Troy Williams used to make, received the pass, got an and one. And, and those two elements, I mean, Juwan is just such a, he's an underrated athlete. He's a very skilled player, maybe not great at any one thing, but good at so many things. And look, you know, part of the reason why he's so efficient offensively is because he only uses 16% of possessions. And so his efficiency might not be as great if he's using more possessions. 
but I'm willing to take that chance. You know, I would like to see him get more opportunities. And so any injury for him, obviously, it goes without saying, would be really, really devastating to this team because of all the different things he does on both ends. Um, but I just thought, I mean, Alex, I don't know if you want to add any insight to that, but I thought those two offensive plays especially, man, if Indiana can find a way to, to utilize his skills more, he seems to be a forgotten man on offense for me too much. Um, and, and I just think he could add an extra element that would get Indiana more easy baskets, especially during those stretches when you know they seem to struggle to get a good look. Yeah, I think I agree with everything you said, and I think it's it's pretty critical that Indiana has him available for for Wednesday. You know, Josh and I talked a little bit about uh, the Penn State and uh, Minnesota game. I mean, Penn State is a team that is really good defensively, and they're going to muck it up and play physical. And uh, it's it, you're gonna you need your your guys that can uh, really um, be. Um, as gritty as possible uh, in the paint and around the rim. And I think Jawan Morgan is, is the best guy in Indiana uh, to do that. So I think it, it bears watching uh, his availability for Wednesday. You know, I think it's uh, it's big for Indiana uh, if he's going to uh, be able to play. And if, if he's not able to play, I think it's going to make it uh, an even uh, tougher test uh, than we already know it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that has been defined by its inconsistency, and Jawan is the one guy, or well, you know, one of among a few guys that you can really count on from game to game. So I think it's absolutely essential that he play up there on the road. Um, we did get a question, Josh. I want to go uh, to you with this first because you put together the Big Ten Power Rankings at InsideTheHall.com. Uh, we got a question about the craziness that is the Big Ten standings. So can you try to make sense of what has gone on in the Big Ten for these first three weeks? Because, I mean, it does feel like we kind of say this every year, like the Big Ten is crazy, but maybe it's even crazier this year than it normally is. I mean, as much sense as the Big Ten usually doesn't make it, it makes even less sense this season. Every team, there, week by week basis, there's maybe two teams each week that go undefeated. And then, like, Minnesota last week went undefeated, or the week before last went undefeated. This week they go 0-2. And so with the Big Ten, there's kind of, to me, in uh, the way I've, I've watched way too much Big Ten basketball this year, um, but it's, there's tiers. I mean, the bottom tier, it's Rutgers, and then there's sort of the, the Illinois, Ohio State, just below that, and then Michigan, Nebraska, Iowa. And after that, I mean, there's not much difference between Indiana, Penn State, and North, Northwestern Michigan State. The teams that have separated themselves so far, it's, it's really it's Maryland, Purdue, Wisconsin. Even though Purdue lost that, uh, lost that game in Iowa City, you still have to give them the edge because of Caleb Swanigan, because of how good they looked in portions of the non-conference play. And all the, I do think you, you have to think uh, Maryland might have the best chance of winning the league, though, based on their schedule. I wrote about it in the power rankings. They have e- probably the easiest schedule in the league. They have... Single plays against Wisconsin, Purdue, Northwestern, Michigan State, Penn State, and Indiana. So, I mean, they only see each of those teams once. It's a a huge advantage in an 18-game season. Yeah, it definitely is. All right, guys, to to finish up here, this question came in from Matt Farrell, and it's a good one. What would constitute a successful season, given where we are today, and realistic expectations for this team? Uh, Josh, I'd like to get your thoughts on that first. You know, has as the way that Big Ten season has started, does that change what your standard is for a successful season uh, and, and what you think is realistic for this team now? I think it does, especially when you lose your first two home games out of the gate in the conference season. Just to get to 500, 
um, to, to nine and nine, they'd have to win at least two road games and sweep the rest of their home games or, or win extra road games if they drop a home game. But I mean, if they can get to nine and nine or better in the conference, get around the 20 win mark or above that by the time big 10 tournament play uh, is over, you'd have to consider it success, uh, somewhat successful based on just how, how rough this recent stretch has been losing four of the last six games. Yeah, you know, I really look at these as two separate questions. You know, what would constitute a successful season? At a program like Indiana, I don't think you can have kind of a floating standard for what's success. So, I mean, coming into the season, we thought this is a team that's going to make, you know, a run at least into the second weekend and beyond in the NCAA tournament and compete for a Big Ten title. And so if that doesn't happen, this isn't going to be a successful season. Now, given where we are today, what are realistic expectations? That certainly changes given the context of any individual season um, and and it, you know, I don't know that I'm quite you know ready to 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 change those yet, but it certainly feels like Indiana's behind the eight ball a lot, sitting at two and three, five games into Big Ten play. So you know, considering it realistic for them to now get back in and compete for a Big Ten title, they certainly can if they make a big run. I just don't think that we've seen enough, um, and, and and some positive play against Rutgers isn't enough to totally change that. Alex, how do you view uh, that question and what would constitute a successful season and what realistic expectations are? Well, I think we're past kind of unless they go um, past the Sweet 16 in the tournament. I don't think um, they've met expectations for kind of what was expect you know what was laid out before the season. I mean, and, and also kind of based on what they did early in the year, beating Kansas and North Carolina. I know the the Fort Wayne loss was disappointing, but even after the North Carolina loss, that you know that was what less than. Yeah, two, what two and a half months ago not not even not even two months ago yeah. um that people were thinking you know this is a team that has a chance to uh go to the final four and right now i just you know i just don't see that um and you know kind of building on what josh said about the you know about the league record uh, just to get to he said you know just to get to 500 in big 10 play they got to win two road games let's look at what they've done you know, away from Assembly Hall this year. You know, they beat Kansas, but then they lost to, to Fort Wayne and Butler and Louisville and Maryland. So they're one and four away from Assembly Hall. They have eight Big Ten road games left. Is it realistic to expect them to win more than two, maybe three of those games? I'm not sure it is. I mean, I don't look at any of these games, uh, starting with Penn State. Uh, you know, then they go to Michigan, they go to Northwestern. I don't look at any of those as games where you go in and say, have a, with a lot of confidence, thinking, Indiana's going to win this game. So realistically, you know, I think if they get to 500 in Big Ten play and, and get to 19 wins going to the Big Ten tournament, uh, they're going to be, a you know, probably an NCAA tournament team. Uh, but in terms of uh, meeting the expectations that were discussed all summer and then uh, the raised expectations maybe a little bit uh, from the beginning of the season, I, I just I don't necessarily see this team hitting those. Oh, hey, there was one final question, Alex, that came in. Justin Albers would like your comments on alley-oops to Freddie McSwain. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to pass on that question. It's, uh, that was, uh, an interesting moment. I think, uh, you know, we could, we could probably discuss that for five or 10 minutes, but I think that one may be, uh, better left uh, unaddressed. People can draw their own conclusions. Yeah, maybe the best way to answer that is that there is a time and a place for alley-oops to Freddie McSwain, and perhaps Devontae Green's judgment of the time and the place wasn't exactly what his coach would like it to be. 
Uh, well, hey, thanks, guys, for your insight. Uh, Josh, I will say this was a, a very auspicious debut for you on Podcast on the Brink, despite mentioning Blake Hoffarber and despite giving Purdue the benefit of the doubt. Uh, outside of those uh, two opinions, I think all IU fans will say that your insight was very good and, uh, and they appreciate your, uh, your contributions here. Thank you so much once again for having me on uh, the podcast. No, really please. enjoyed it and uh, should be a really interesting stretch of games coming up. I mean, starting with the Penn State and even the, just the next two games this upcoming week will be a test of IU's medal and see how, how much they can bounce back from this poor start to the conference. Yeah, no, and, uh, and one thing that's really impressed me, you know, ever since we started working with you, Josh, is your just your knowledge of basketball in general. So, highly recommend all the pieces that you write uh, over at Inside the Hall uh, and the Six Banner Saturday post that you write for us at assemblycall.com uh, as well. Uh, Alex, thanks for your insight, and we'll uh, we'll chat again next week on another episode. All right, thank you. Yep. All right, everybody, uh, take care. Go Hoosiers! Let's go get a big win Wednesday night at Penn State, and we will talk to you next week on another brand new episode of Podcast on the Brink. Thank you very much for tuning in to this episode of Podcast on the Brink. We always appreciate you being here. And if you like what you hear on Podcast on the Brink, there are a few good ways that you can support the show and help us get the word out to other IU basketball fans. Certainly, if you like this episode, share it with a fellow IU fan, either on Twitter or via email or however you share podcasts with friends. Uh, And also, leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcast on the brink, a rating and a review uh, is always, always extremely helpful. So we appreciate that. And of course, podcast on the brink brought to you by SeatGeek. Use the promo code BRINK, B-R-I-N-K, when you make your first SeatGeek purchase, and they will send you a $20 rebate on that purchase, whether that's purchase of a tickets to an IU basketball game, to a concert, to any other sports or music event, SeatGeek is the place to go. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with another brand new episode of Podcast on the Brink. Go Hoosiers.